All right. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. I can be forgiven. Amen. All right, let's go, let's go to the Word this morning. Amen, shall we? Uh, I want to read from the passages uh, from Acts chapter 2, and, uh, and uh, I want to read verse 4 and verse 5, okay? Uh, and 3 and 4, rather. It says uh, that, Then what... Then what looked like flames of tongue, uh, of flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, I, th- 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 that, that, that passage comes from, you know, the day of Pentecost. And we talked about that last week. And I know we could dwell on this subject for a long time as we continue in our series called Next. And, and, and we're exploring the book of Acts. I, I don't know that we will read the whole book, but I encourage all of you to read the book of Acts. And if you haven't already, it's not too late. Uh, the, if you read the book of Acts, you'll get a lot more out of these messages because you, you will be ahead. And so sometimes I'll make reference towards the end of the book. I know the last few weeks I've kind of dwelt on the first two verses, uh, the first two chapters. But I do want to talk to you this morning on the subject about living uh, happily, or happy, living a, 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 oh, I can't even pronounce it, oh, happy living. Let, let me try that again. You know, so when it's not your first language, maybe second or third somewhere around there, sometimes you can mix these words, you know, and some, so don't, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, you're with me. But uh, living a happy life, you know, uh, uh, happiness is something that we all look for. Even when we don't want to admit it, we instinctively look for comforts. We look for things that make us feel good. We want to be comfortable. We want to rest. Yeah, we want to be happy. And it's inside of us uh, to be happy. And, and one of the things um, um, that... Uh, and, 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 and let me not get ahead of myself. And I want to talk a little bit about that subject because as we began last week and we looked at the Holy Spirit, who was the promise of the Lord to the church to you and I, there is something of God. There is something of God that was lost in the Garden of Eden. So I'm, I'm giving you some preface here so because it will help connect with what I'm trying to say this morning. Hopefully it does. Um, uh, when, when man sinned, there was a separation spiritually from God. The kind of relationship that Adam and Eve once enjoyed with the Lord was lost after sin entered the world. And since then, there's been enmity between us and God, because of our sinful nature. So we know that. It's ABC, right? And uh, when we teach that in Sunday school, and we know what Jesus came to do and to fulfill. And, and Jesus died on the cross, and, and, and he brought us salvation. But he didn't come to just leave us like that. It's like, now you're saved. Now you're going to wait a long time and make it to heaven someday. That's not what God's promise is. In fact, he told his disciples that the kind of life I'm going to give you, I want you to have abundant life. I want you to have a fulfilling life. I want you to have a satisfying life. I want you to have a life um, uh, uh, that that, that is content, uh, where, where, where you can have peace and you can enjoy goodness in the land. And so we get to enjoy in a little bit, we get to enjoy for this season of life that we have here, uh, we get to enjoy, kill that spider, right? Uh, we get to enjoy a, a little bit, a little taste of heaven. Because the disciples were very concerned when Jesus told them that he's going to leave them. They had enjoyed such an awesome time of ministry to be walking around with Jesus, talking to Jesus, hanging out, watching basketball, and hoping that the spurs would win. Now, 
And they were exposed to awesome ministry that nobody else had ever seen. Three and a half years, the disciples worked full-time in their ministry, ministering with Jesus. Man, I want to be part of that ministry. Things were happening, you know, like, man, when they go back and things were happening everywhere. And Jesus says, guess what? I'm not going to always be with you. And they were very concerned uh, about that. Uh, Who wouldn't? And Jesus says, things are going to be better for you when I do leave. Now think about how convinced God was by making it as such. And nobody could ever imagine that they could, things could ever get better than what they had already seen through the hands of Jesus. And he says, because I am going to go to my father and I'm going to ask him for a helper. I'm going to ask for him to send you a helper who will be with you always till the end. And so the passage I read actually is a fulfillment of, if you go back to chapter 1, he talks to them. This is after the resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus hangs around with the disciples for 40 days. And he speaks to as, as much as 500 believers and, and he's giving them the things to come. He will give them about a text, talk to them about the, 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 the great commission, what we call about going into the world and preaching the gospel. He's telling them how God will use them greatly. And, and, and he's inspiring all these things. And he comes to Acts chapter 1, he tells them here, in fact, he says, like I think in verse 4 and verse 5, he says, here's what I need you to do. Now I'm going to go, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. Until you have received the promise. I want you to wait. And it was 10 days later. Is what we read here. Is when it says in chapter 2 and verse 1. That they, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Uh, that they were all gathered in, in one place. And that's when we were, where the place where they were standing. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that was the promise of God to them. Now there are those who say that that was a, a one time experience. It was a one time um, uh, thing. No, it wasn't. It was not a one-time thing. In fact, just in the book of, in the book of Acts alone, there were other experiences similar to the day of Pentecost. So you know that basis is already, doesn't have any foundation to it. In chapter 8, you see different believers that uh, they, they, they went in to preach to them. And they said, and they were actually believers already. They, they believed in Jesus. And the apostle says, that one of the apostles that had gone out to, to preach to them says, Hey, did you all receive the Holy Spirit when you, uh, when, you, when you first accepted the gospel? And they said, What are you talking about? They ask. We've never even heard of such a thing that there is. Uh, ah. And so the disciples, uh, the, 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 the apostles will lay hands on them and they will receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we'll speak in tongues and we'll prophesy. Later on, they'll send a group of other, uh, two other apostles will go in to this group of Gentiles. So now, because up until that point, only Jews were believers. And they go to the Gentiles. And they preach just the basis of the gospel. About Jesus coming and Jesus dying and Jesus rising from the dead and faith in Him will get you saved and get you eternal life. And, 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 and they hear the word and the Holy Spirit convicts them and they respond to the gospel. And as the apostles pray for them, they all begin to speak in tongues and begin to prophesy. And they were all astonished because these guys are not even Jews. 
And yet they received the Holy Spirit. And so there was one of the conversations that the uh, elders of the church had to talk about at first was, can we get them baptized in water? We can't keep them from being baptized in water. They already received the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? So even in the book of Acts alone, it shows that that experience was not just a one-time experience. And why am I emphasizing on this? Because I do believe that a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled living, not just a momentary experience, but a spirit-filled life is the key to happiness and joy in one's life. You see, the Bible says this, Isaiah, I can quote it, I forget where it's at, <laughs> but it does say this, in the presence of the Lord... There is fullness of joy. I think it's Psalm 16 verse 11. And at his right hand there are pleasures evermore. Joy, pleasure. Isn't that funny? I'll talk about happiness. You say, oh, happiness, that's just vain. We need to suffer and be, make sure that everything hurts so that we can really prove that we are truly spiritual. But it, no, it says, in the presence of the Lord... There is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. See, what, what the disciples did not understand is this. At the time, before, before, before they, they received the Holy Spirit, what they did not understand is this, is that at the time when Jesus was ministering on the earth, wherever Jesus was, that's where things happened, physically. And so they moved from place to place, from town to town, and different places. And they would preach, and they would speak to people, and he would teach about the kingdom of God and all that. And all that stuff happened where he was physically. With the exception of one place, a guy that Jesus highlighted very much. It was a Roman centurion who came to Jesus asking for healing to have one of his servants, one that he took to be healed. And Jesus said, you know, I'll come to your house, because that's what he always did. I'll come to your house and I'll pray for your servant. And the Roman centurion says, ah, wait, 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 wait. I get it. I understand how authority works. Because I myself, I'm a man of authority. All I have to do to tell my soldiers to do what they have to do, I'll just give him an assignment and sure enough, he'll get done. And so I know, I know you're a man of authority. And what you got to say, all you got to do is just speak your word. And my servant will be healed. And, and that person, during that ministry, the three and a half time of Jesus' earthly ministry, was given more recognition on his face than even the disciples did. Because Jesus says, I finally found the guy that understands what's going to happen in the next dimension. He says, because, he says, I have not seen such faith, not even in Israel. And he says, your faith, he, your servant is here. And you know, he, Jesus didn't have to go because he is still God. But the Lord wanted to share, to give us, make us partakers of what this absolutely awesome gift. And we see through the book of Acts that even believers that knew Jesus Christ, that are already saved and born again, actually lived without the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter. Peter is the famous one. He's, he's easy to pick on. Because he made himself shine on a, a lot of situations. I use Peter as an example. I'm going to pick him up again. 
you realize that during the day of Pentecost, this was post-resurrection. So goes with the argument and the debate that those that say that, oh, well, um, you know, when you're born again, when you're already saved, you have the Holy Spirit with you already. Have you, I've had that argument before. True. The guy on the cross next to Jesus that died, uh, one of the two sinners on the cross, one of them mocked Jesus and said, if you're the son of God, you know, why don't you get yourself out of this situation? And it's like, I, I, I don't believe these religious people. You know, you claim a, a lot of big shot here and, 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 and you're hanging just like me and I'm a thug. He's mocking Jesus as well. You, this, you're the same as me. Oh, you religious. You say, and the other guy looks at him and says, hey, I know you're not supposed to be here. I know I'm supposed to be here, but not you. But when you go to your father, do not forget about me. And Jesus looks at the guy and he says to him, Today, I will be with you in paradise. This guy didn't even know the proper sinner's prayer. He hadn't been taught that you can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the mouth, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. He didn't know that, uh, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He didn't know that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his own one and begotten son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting. He had none of that. But yet in his heart, he actually literally prayed right on with what the scripture says the process of salvation entails. Because he did acknowledge that he was a sinner by saying, I know you are not supposed to be here. He, in that statement alone, he's saying, I know. I deserve this. And he would repent. And that guy would actually get saved <laughs> right there on the spot. But he didn't get to enjoy the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus already told us, we'll see that guy in heaven. You don't know what kind of life he lived. But in his dying moment, he confessed his sin, not even knowing the proper way to do it. But in his heart, he says, I, he acknowledged the Lord and he acknowledged his sinfulness. And he says, please don't forget about me. In other words, he repented of his sins. Forty days, believers got to hear Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. After the resurrection. They were not non-believers. This was not pre the cross. They were already full of the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit in them. They were believers like you and I. Peter got that revelation even before the cross. When Jesus goes out, and he talks to his disciple, and I just picture them chilling out, just having a good time. Someone is barbecuing, waiting for the meal. And, they, and Jesus says, hey, you know, there's been a lot going on in town, and people are saying all sorts of things about me. They all have a different idea, you know. And, and uh, what are they saying, you know? Uh, have you read the news lately, what CNN saying about me? or why? 
what's it? What's it? What's the hardest hashtag on uh, Instagram? Right? They say, well, they say you're a prophet. Uh, some say you're some kind of a messenger from God. Some think that you're Elijah. You know, they have all sorts of things. They say, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. But, 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 but who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and he says, Peter, he says that you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus looks right at Peter and says, hey, Peter, that did not come out of just human wisdom. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. It was a revelation. So, he, so I, I, I'm building this best to tell you that those things were available. The people were saved before the day of Pentecost. Are you with me? Have we established that fact? But yet, you see in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, when Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem and do not leave until they receive the promise, okay? You see, at that point, he makes reference to John the Baptist. And he says, John, baptize you indeed with water. But you shall receive the Holy Spirit. You shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten days later, Pentecost happened. That experience is something that God has for us to experience even now. Not just a one-time church service that was fantastic. As God moved in that service, man, when we worship, you could feel this presence. You're so tangible and all that. And we have those experiences sometimes. But God wants us to live a spirit-filled life where we are continually drawing from his presence. And that's where the place of true happiness and contentment come. We can live a life, a happy life, throughout the life. And no, it's not a life devoid of hardship or trials or pain or any of that. It's not, but it's in spite of all that, we can still find comfort and be peaceful and still be happy. Now, that's something the world doesn't get. That's something the the world does not get, but it's something we have available for us, and it's a gift of God to believers. I read that passage I read today, the two verses, because in it, it says... That all of them, each one of them, he says that each one of them received that were gathered there. Each one of them received. And everyone that was present was filled. You know what he tells me? That God is not a discriminator. God is not a respecter of persons. God, also that this gift is for every believer. It's a gift for every believer. There was 120. But weeks before that, a week and a half before that, Jesus was talking to 500. This tells me not everybody waited. Not everybody wanted it bad enough. Not everybody was curious enough or had such a longing for what God had. And in that group of 120, there were all sorts of people. Last week I pointed out that there were different uh, uh, nationalities and, the, and those came from the people that came to observe. But on the 20, you had people of all social economic status. You had some people like Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very wealthy man. You had the rich and the influential people. He's the guy that gave Jesus uh, uh, the, the tomb. You had a guy like, uh, uh, I want to say Nicodemus was probably there. But you also probably had former, slave, uh, former um, uh, lepers and beggars and, and former prostitutes that Jesus administered to. These people became devout followers like Mary. 
kept on following Jesus after she received healing from Jesus and forgiveness from Jesus. So, 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 so God poured it to every person, which is no different for us in this room today. When we seek the Lord and when we ask for his fulfillment, because the promise, is, uh, the promise was not just for, for, the, for the 12 disciples, for the 12 apostles. Those were people that were in full-time ministry. But you know, a lot of people followed Jesus that were not in full-time ministry. They just went on with their careers and everything they did. And it wasn't just for the elite or for the full-time ministers. It was for every believer. That kind of spirit is available to us today. And it's not just for a moment. Because you will see in these people's lives, as you plow through the book of Acts, that many of them ended up to live some phenomenal lives after this experience. It did not stop there. Oh, man, I, 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 I don't even have enough time to go through all of it. But you can see the transformation that took place. When you get to, 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 uh, to verse 40, 37 through to, to 50, verse 50 on the same chapter, you see that they started forming this awesome community and God was blessing them. And people on the outside will look at them and say, man, we've never seen happier people than those people. It says that they had favor with everyone because they saw how they lived with each other. They saw how their lives were and they, they envied. They wanted what these folks had. That same spirit in those people is in us. And we can call on the Lord. We could ask the Lord. We could, we could believe God that, we could, that, that, we, that our lives doesn't have to be just a moment experience here and there, but we can live a spirit-filled life and truly know what it means to, to receive the fullness of God's pro, uh, 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 promises in our lives. See, here's the problem. Uh, as I said earlier, that we would always look for happiness, and it's something that we will seek uh, uh, instinctively. When we don't learn how to draw that from the Lord himself, we will still look for it. Problem is that we will look for that fulfillment and that happiness in all the wrong places. In other words, we will supplement what we are not getting from God. And we'll find that need or that desire fulfilled elsewhere. Unfortunately, many times it gets fulfilled in things that are temporary. Not that all temporary things are bad. Please hear me. That's not what I'm saying. But there are too many times... It leads people to things that are even destructive in nature. Because there's something inside of us, there's a void inside of us that, uh, that, that, that only the Holy Spirit can fill it. Only the Holy Spirit can, 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 can occupy that place. And so when we don't learn as believers how to draw from that well, and constantly living a spiritual life, then we start supplementing. And trust me, it happens even in church. It's amazing how many books I've read as a pastor where they write, oh, this is how to grow your church and make everybody want to come to your church. There are a lot of books like that, trust me. As preachers, they know. They've read them. And, 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 and I'm, oftentimes, I'm disappointed time and time again when you read a book and they give you all the strategies that we were employing in corporate life. Not that we can't draw things that uh, can be similar that work in the world and that can work in the church. I'm not against that at all. But to the point on, to the tune of creating atmosphere that causes people to feel a certain way. 
worship, for example. And the changing of lights and different things. And I'm not against light. So don't say, hey, well, that's from the devil. No, it's not. My problem lies is when we supplement that and create a feeling devoid of the Holy Spirit. And people still feel happy because it was done well with excellence. And so if it's done well with excellence, it's supposed to. Music that's done well, secular or Christian, music that's done well and has a good sound to it, done with excellence, is enjoyable. Period. A message that is well thought out about behaviors, people's behavior, human behavior, and that touches on things that can help people, they really can help people. They are secular people helping people. And it works. Problem I have is when we supplement those things where we don't give room for the Holy Spirit to try and fill the void that only the Holy Spirit can fill. So it gives us a temporary sense of feeling like we are accomplishing something. And yet we are selling ourselves short of what God has for us, which is greater than what we could ever manufacture in all of human wisdom combined. I have been to places where there has been, there is no music, there is no building, there is nothing, people have no money, what you would define poor is like, and you will start worshiping God, and you will feel the presence of the Holy Spirit like crazy. It's like a, amazing. I've met some of the most devoted followers of Jesus Christ in some of the, some of the poorest places in the world. But I've also met some of the most devoted uh, followers of Jesus Christ that are very, very well off. So it's not poverty or money. It's not music or no music. It's not none of that. Key is, are we making place for the Holy Spirit? Or are we supplementing what the Holy Spirit would do with other things? Drugs, money, fame, fortune, sex, alcohol. Is it taking the place or attempting to, if we don't learn as believers to live that spirit-filled life where we are drawing from him, where he's filling us regardless of that stuff. And not everything is bad. And I, I, I hope I made that clear. Just say amen if you, you, you at least uh, you're feeling what I'm trying to say here. Amen. I'm going to be watching a game this afternoon and it's Mother's Day. I feel a little guilty about that, but uh, I think I'm going to be watching part of it. So all I'm saying is that those things are not bad is when we try to use them uh, knowingly or unknowingly to fulfill or to fill that void that should be only reserved for the Lord. And it does end up, this is not a guilty thing, it ends up eating away from us on the joy and and the happiness that we were meant to enjoy. The fellowship that we were meant to enjoy. How many say, I don't want to sell short. I want all of it. I want all of God. Verse 13 is one of the most interesting observations. I don't know if you think about it as much as I have put thought towards it. In fact, it inspired me to do a little bit more study, and I will not give you the full of my study, but I will highlight something for you. Verse uh, 13, or just chapter 2. 
It says, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they are just drunk, that's all. And that statement, and you read from it, and, and, and think, I'm thinking, what? What caused them to come to the conclusion when they observe the people, or the believers praying and worshiping? Is there any one particular thing? It doesn't give us any answer there. Is there one particular thing that says, oh, Jeff, this is, I don't know what goes through your mind. I, I like to analyze and think a little bit. It's like, they could have come up with any conclusions. Yeah, I, I've never seen anybody come here and say, oh, they're a bunch of drunk people. They might say they're religious fanatics or whatever. They might call some weird thing, you know. But how, why? I thought that was, isn't it interesting that some people, some looked at them and when and they were praying, amazing things are happening. They're speaking in other languages. Some people cannot understand and others came and says, man, that's a guy from a different country and he's speaking my, 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 my native language are like fluently and all he's saying is praising God like crazy. This is, this is amazing. What this, some of them were marveled as they stayed longer and tried to kind of make sense of it. It was different. It's not something that they ever seen before. But they were interested enough to stay long enough to observe and see what, and as they tried to make sense of it, they realized, wow, it's not as crazy as we thought. Man, these guys, have you heard what they're saying? So it, it created a little of a hunger and a curiosity in them. But in verse 13 it says, but others quickly dismissed them. They said they're drunk. But why drunk? And you know, maybe it might surprise you, but it's not the only time in the scripture that you find where the, the, there is an association, where the, or a parallel, if you would, where the Holy Spirit is mentioned and drunk, drunkenness or drinking is mentioned. Actually, multiple times. Because that statement itself caused me to do a lot more digging. Not today. I wrote a whole paper on this. And the relation of how alcohol tends to try and fulfill, to, 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 to supplement that thing that the Holy Spirit would give us. But it only gives us a temporary feel of it. The Nazarites. Well, let's speak Samson. I talked about Samson recently. Samson, he says he was not given to wine. Never got drunk in his life. But instead he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Whenever I did some mighty things, whenever I did some marvelous things, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Use the same term that's used in Acts chapter 2 that says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's the same term that was used in the book in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8, uh, uh, Acts chapter 10, when the Lord's and the Spirit came upon them. And it emphasizes that they weren't uh, given to wine. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk by wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was not given to wine, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When they appointed elder, uh, elders and deacons, actually the first deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6, if you read the story, Stevens, it was one of them. One of the criteria that they wanted to, in appointing the first deacons in the church was that they had to be people that were full of the Holy Spirit. Those are the first deacons, not just elders, the deacons as well. But in, 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 sec, in Timothy and in Titus, where he gives uh, the instructions of what, they, what kind of life they're supposed to live, if they're going to take those positions in the church, they say they're not given to wine, but they're filled with the Spirit. Huh. Maybe you thought about it. Maybe you didn't. But I, I, if, it doesn't take much to look at our culture right now. 
and realize that drinking has gone to another level and it doesn't help with the, what the, with, with the, with the media and the commercialism, just like Christmas and Easter and every holiday under the sun, the commercial factor of it, they're getting so smart and they're employing very brilliant people to make the commercials and it looks it's the coolest thing under the sun and, and it's become... And, and, and this is not, hear me, this is not a, a, a theological a discussion on whether the Bible says to drink, the Bible not to say. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about how our culture has taken that and has made an idol out of alcohol. And it spells some dangers in the days to come, in the years to come to the next generations. It's always worse for the next generation. And the commercialism has helped propel it through movies and medias and everything. Made light of it. And many people who begin just for fun end up in trouble. Families end up being broken. People with potential. They live great potential. People that are very talented and gifted end up wrecking their lives. It doesn't go on with everyone like that. But I, I, I see an advancement in our culture to where it's become a type of idol. One of my friends, a pastor, um, uh, one of our friends, pastor, in fact, he'll be here this fall, Pastor Rick Seward from their church in Singapore. They've been planning churches all, all, all over the world. And, uh, and, uh, and, and in the mid, uh, about 2000, uh, that early 2000 year range, they planted many churches in Northern Ireland where drinking is part of the culture. And it's amazing the kind of ministry and the kind of brokenness that they found there in their ministry and the hardships that they had to experience uh, because of the, the culture that glorifies alcohol almost like a god with a small g. That there can be no fun in the world without it. We're using it to be happy. We're using it to, deep, uh, to, to stay away from our problems. We're using it for all sorts of things. And... Uh, uh, and anything that gets pushed with that much um, um, power and with that much strength will always lead some to a path of destruction. Not everybody would actually go down that path. But as the culture makes it like a God, it would affect us more than we want to even realize. And the Lord saying that that's not even necessary for us because he says, there's something even better available to believers. That you can be happy all the time without ever, ever looking for supplements to give you happiness. And that we have to look at it head on. And the other part is, it helps us in our weakness. It helps in our weakness as believers. You know, it's so funny how there are certain things as you're walking and you're living a spirit-filled life that you don't recognize about yourself what others see. And, and it, it started hitting me later, you know, people that I've worked with or maybe done business with and all that, they'll say things to me like, oh, you're always happy. I've never seen you get mad. Well, I do get angry. Like right now, I'm angry at what the devil's doing, at destroying people, people's lives. I was like, oh, they don't realize it's the Holy Spirit. A sp- living a spirit-filled life translates m- beyond an awesome, fantastic Sunday experience. 
that it follows you in your home. It follows you in the car. It follows you in the streets. And as I said, you're exposed to the presence of God. As I said earlier, in His presence there is fullness of joy and at His right hand there are pleasures evermore. And so when you're living a spirit-filled life, you have this experience in you, that you have this experience with God all the time, that even in, as you're going through your life, God can bring comfort. God can bring revelation. God can speak a word that delivers you out of a something that's stressing you out. It's not that you don't get tried. It's not that you get, don't get tested. It's not that like you don't go through. You go through all those things. But there's a power that gives you wind. There's a strength that comes behind you because you can tap into that wealth of joy even in times of trials. This week I visited a friend who's going through a very he- uh, um, just some serious health issues. And, uh, and I went to, to see him, and, um, and, and the first thing I was like, asking about the day, is like, man, she said, I had uh, the most awesome day. And I could see the joy in her face. I could see the, the smile. I could, it wasn't like putting it on or trying to kind of uh, live in denial or anything. Because, man, I spent so much time with the Lord. It's been so good. And yet she's dealing with this health issue. But yet she can still enjoy I think it was a perfect picture of what it means for one who is living a spirit-filled life. That even in the middle of things like, man, I, what the road she has to go through, she's like, it's like, it's surreal. I don't even, I can't even be just going through my life and, and bang, I get this, you know. And, 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 and yet in, in the middle of all that, she can say, wow, I had such an awesome day. I spent so I had some good quiet time with the Lord. I got some good personal worship with the Lord. Where does that come from? You see, a lot of many of these disciples that we read about, Peter, <laughs> again, man, I tell you, when I go to heaven, he's gonna give me a hard time because I'm using him a lot here. But Peter, at the, at the same time, Peter was the guy that was so anointed. And that he was walking around. Sometimes, one of the times that he was preaching, he was walking around. And as, as he's walking around, his shadow, when he passes over sick people, they'll get healed. Even without him praying for them. That's how much anointing he had. And yet he got crucified upside down. You think he lost? Absolutely not. Because this is a temporary time we have. They were still so on fire for Jesus. So you're thinking, well, boy, where do we go from here? We need to hunger. There has to be a desire, number one. If you want to, you like to, number one, you have to be a desire there. You, have, you can't uh, experience an awakening in your life. You can't receive a revival. You cannot experience even being spirit-filled, a spirit-filled experience, even for the first time, without an honest desire for it. Because God will never impose it on you. See, Jesus talked to 500. Only 120 were there. And he told him, yeah, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem. I tell me, this guy, he didn't tell him how long it's going to take. It did take 10 days, but he didn't tell, tell him how long. They just tell him, don't leave. You keep waiting because when you get this promise, it's going to be worth it. And they waited. 
They had that desire. It's like they waited. They believed in God so much. They want more of God. They wanted more of God in their lives than anything. They didn't care to leave anything, to lose anything, because he meant that much to them. The psalmist put it this way. He says, as the deer parted for the water brooks, so my soul pants after you. It's, 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 this, uh, it's this desire to say, God, you know, nothing else matters. If I have to lose it all, I'd do it just so I can have this relationship with you. That's why he told people that followed him. He says, you need to leave this and follow me. You need to, you need to, you need to leave your job and follow me. And, and he's not telling us that all the time. But he's give, telling us a picture of like, we have to be ready that if the Lord asks, says, yes, Lord. I'll give everything. Secondly, a very unlikely point here, repentance. Repentance, say that with me. Peter gave, and I'm going to do, do it really quick here. Peter, in that Acts chapter 2, he would go on and speak to all the people that were observing. And he will speak a strong message to them. And they will be convicted. And they would want to do something about it. And they say, Peter, we, we want this thing that you guys have. And what do we need to have it? And, 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 and he told them really simple things. He says, you all, you need to repent and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, um, uh, 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 and he goes on to say that they repent from the generation, the, the, uh, this perverse generation. There's no such thing as the gospel without repentance. There's no such thing as the gospel. The first thing, our first point from God, we must first acknowledge that we are sinners. He says, come as you are, yes. But it doesn't leave you as you are. Psalm 51 Really quickly, you don't have to go there. You can write it down. It's a prayer of repentance from David who had sinned uh, from the Lord and done some horrible stuff. But uh, when he came to his conviction, you know, some, some of the things, it's, it's, so, it's so amazing when you look at it. You know what he says, Lord? He says, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And that's all. <laughs> Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That living a repentative heart, truly wanting to live a holy life, would actually alleviate the weight and allow the Holy Spirit room. He is the Holy Spirit, not the unholy spirit, folks. And the last thing you have to ask, and I wouldn't read that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say stand up. <laughs> we can pray because I want us to worship. Because we could ask in our worship, stand with me. Did, some, did you get something from the Lord today? My, my hope, and I hope if I fulfill this, I, I hope that I, I will feel very good, is that I spark in you a desire for more of him. How many at least challenged say, you know what, God, I want more. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. I, I, I want every void place or any place that I have filled or tried to fill or allowed other things to fill that you could occupy. Lord, I want more of it. It comes, you have to ask for it. I close with a verse, a couple of verses. I don't I remember the reference on Luke chapter 10. I am very forgetful because I have been hardly slept. You know why. So I'm thinking, but it's Luke chapter 10. See, God gave me, that was the Holy Spirit. He puts into my remembrance those words that I read. Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, ask, and you shall receive. We know this. 
Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Very, very good prayer uh, that we all even have memorized. But guess what he was talking about when he was saying that? He was talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he goes on to tell them in chapter verse 12 and 13, he says, Huh, how many of you here, when your child asks you for fish, you'll give him snake? If he asks you for, make me a scrambled eggs, dad, I'll give him a scorpion. I was like, hey, I'd like a piece of toast for breakfast, dad. I'll give him a stone. How many of you would do that? And he says, you being evil. He says, none of you. He goes, because that's ridiculous. He says, and you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give them the Holy Spirit that ask? How much more? And notice he uses the term father. God is not father to people that are not saved. He's God of everybody. He's God of everything. But he's only father to those that have believed in his name. John 1.12 As many who received him to them, he call, gives them the right to be called the children of God. So he's referring to his children. Ask. Today you ask anything of the Lord. He's listening. Worship him. Come around. Let's stretch our hands if you're asking for more towards heaven. Just close your eyes. Get your hands free from everything. He's in this place. Come on. Begin to worship. Begin to ask. I can't ask for you. I can lead you. I can encourage you. I can inspire you. I can speak the word of God to you. But you got to ask for yourself. <laughs> because God answers the prayer of your heart. Hallelujah. Come on. Begin to ask. Hallelujah. What is it that you need from him today? What area in your life are you wanting him to feel? He said, ask. Ask and you shall receive. To say, he says, if you seek me, the Lord says you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And today, Lord, we knock on heaven. We ask of you, Lord. We ask of you, Lord. We ask of you, Lord. We ask of your promise. We don't want just a little bit. We don't just want a portion, God. We want to be filled. We want to be filled. Like David said, that my cup runs over. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move in our lives. Move in our hearts, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. Every beat of my heart, Lord. Every single, every room in my heart, Lord. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, come. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, we seek your face. We seek your face in our generation. We know, Lord, that we are not an accident in this place. Nothing happens by accident, God. But you guide our very steps, oh God. And Father, we ask. We don't want to even fill this place with people. But we want people to be true disciples of Jesus. So in love with you, God. That our city will get to know you, oh God. And who you really are, God. 
And so we ask for an awakening. We ask for a revival. We ask for a stirring, Lord. We ask, oh God. And we seek your face this morning, God. We knock on heaven's doors, Lord. Open the windows of heaven. Open the windows of heaven, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, begin to sing songs of worship, songs of adoration. Oh, open your hearts to us, heaven. Oh, begin to just worship him. Oh, let praise flow from your heart to his throne. From your heart to his throne. Because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. Hallelujah, Lord, we magnify you, Lord. We adore you, King of glory, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.